Um, okay, so yeah, I, I got my drink. I was just hoping to just talk a little bit about Godless, um, see where we end up, see where we start. I think we've talked about some of the more annoying parts of it, so I'd, I'd be happy to start off with that, and we can just see where we go. It doesn't even have to end up talking about the show. We can just end up at random shit, but let's see, let's see how we go. Sounds good. Okay. I'm Sover. You're Liz. I am Liz. We have both watched the first two episodes of Godless, a limited series, as they've like they've decided to call it on Netflix, which sounds like this is all we're going to get. I'm not sure if that's good or bad at this point. Uh, that IMDb thinks it's pretty damn great. Rotten Tomatoes thinks it's pretty damn great. First two episodes, though, do not really inspire me. I had a lot of hope for it because I heard good things, and the intro looked amazing, and the quality looked, at first glance, pretty great pretty right and there's like jeff daniels there's like that girl from modern Fa- not modern family from downton abbey not modern family there's, there's some, some game, game of thrones, thrones. people uh, in yeah there. i didn't realize that was jojen reed until like i halfway know through. i was like he basically he dies and he comes back to life in a western it was really cool <laughs> so yeah anyway back to your little description so yeah i i'm, I'm curious what your first thoughts were like did, did you hear about it before i mentioned it to you so i had seen a little bit of it and then I had saw like a tag for it and then because it kind of fits what I normally watch on Netflix of a court of course it was like immediately recommended so I said okay you know what and then we talked about it we said let's give it a go and try and watch the first few episodes and I'm gonna couch this by saying when I first watched Westworld I kind of had the same feeling the very first episode where I was like I didn't really know where it was gonna go and I didn't know if I was gonna be into it and then I loved Westworld so I'm hoping maybe this follows a similar trajectory and it just needs a lot of build-up time. Me too. Although, that said, I felt kind of intrigued at the end of the first episode of Westworld. At the end of the first episode of this, I was like, well, I get where you're going, but I mean, I, I guess we'll see what happens next. So for the record's sake, what the first two episodes really have going for them. Basically, there's this, there's like three parallel storylines that start off. I, you know, I'm so terrible at names, so you're going to have to excuse me. I legit say me. The only one I remember was <laughs> I know. Roy Good I remember and... Roy Good and uh, Frank Griffin. Those, those are the only two. Uh, Jeff Daniels slash Frank Griffin runs a gang and a bunch of cowboys out there in the Wild West. And uh, Roy Good is, in the first episode, um, almost a deserter from that gang. And it causes Jeff Daniels and or Frank Griffin, I don't know what we're going to call him, to shoot up an entire town. And Roy Good then escapes, or not escapes, runs away to a farm where he meets another woman, uh, or another woman, a woman, who serves as, I guess, the other pivotal turning point of the story. I also don't remember her name. I just keep Alice. in my head she's still married from Alice the sure. Abbey. I'm looking at the list. That's the only reason I know. <laughs> so the first scene... That first scene of Sam Watterson. By the way, the, I, it took me a while to remember that Sam Watterson and Jeff Daniels were together in the newsroom as well. And that kind of got me a little bit excited. Uh, yep, yep. So the first scene where like Sam Watterson's walking through with his posse and he finds Creed, like the, the town of Creed just like fucked up in every single way where the town is just slaughtered and it was very eerie and ethereal and that woman was just uh, singing and then it ends with the shot of the hanging child. No, that was creepy as all hell. It was so creepy. That scene got me really intrigued. I was like, this is this seems really cool. And from the na- title of the series, The Godless, and that, I was like, there's some supernatural shit going on here for sure. This is I like totally some weird Twin Peaks thing. type thing. 
and then it was just a gang of people who just killed a lot of people. I'll 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 be honest. I was pretty disappointed that it was just men running around killing. Seems pretty typical. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about westerns in general because they're so stereotypical and almost all of them follow the same storyline. At least this one does seem like it's starting to have a little bit of a different storyline. And when we get to the second episode and when we talk about the second episode, which I think I liked a bit more than the first, but I was reading a review today and apparently no one agrees with us. Everyone thought that the first episode was better than the second episode. I think it's primarily because maybe the disjointedness of how they were telling the story in the first episode meant you were kind of ping-ponging around and you were trying to make these comparisons and trying to figure out where the story was going. That might be my biggest issue. And that, that at the entire time I was watching the first episode, that kept coming in my head. I was just like, I don't know whether to blame the director or the editor because the shots jumping between scene to scene, there was no, con like usually there's a connection, like there's a turn of phrase or something that connects. It just went back and forth for no reason. And there was no like continuous story. It was very jumpy. Um, and I thought that maybe because they're trying to weave together three different storylines, that's yeah. why. And I guess the the other storyline is the town of La Belle, which have it's a town full of women only because all the men died in a mine accident. So it's just a bunch of women running the show. And that was the first thing that really started to intrigue me. I was like, good on you, Western show. You're going to start you're going to start to do something with this women only town. And let's see what let's see what happens. But in the first episode, I wasn't really impressed by it. It felt very typical. I don't know. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's it was just like, OK, something's happening. There's a gang running around. At first, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be rooting for Jeff. What was his last name? What was, what was the character's last Frank name? Frank Griffin. Jeff Griffin or no, not. No. <laughs> You're mixing them now. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be rooting for him or not. And then I definitely get the impression that, especially with episode two, we're going to be seeing a lot about the background, a lot a lot of different sides of each of everyone's stories. They're going, everyone's going to be a much more of a complex character than like a typical old fashioned Western, which I'm excited for. I'm looking forward to. But I, I didn't, wasn't really sure what to be thinking of him. Maybe I wasn't paying attention, by the way, because when they first talked about Roy Good, it took me like a while to figure out who Roy Good was. So there's definitely components I like about it. Like I like Roy Good as a character. I like the sheriff as a character. Jeff Daniels, as far as episode one goes, I think he's an interesting a little bit. I like him a lot more based on the development in episode two. Mary from Downton Abbey, again, no idea what her name is, but she was an interesting character too. But I just didn't give a shit. I feel like I, I had to force myself to give a shit because there was no cohesive story along everything. Like it kept jumping. Or, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the editing or maybe like the, the way that the level of direction really got me annoying. I want to blame the director more because, for example, like the last scene, there was there was like a slow-mo shot. And I'm like, I don't. Why is it slow motion? I don't understand. Like there would be very. They, he tried different styles. Like they'd go really slow and like panning, and then it would go like a like a close up shot, <laughs> and it was just really all over the place. And right now, right before I just the writer is the same as the director, Scott Frank. He wrote a bunch of amazing things. He wrote Minority Report. He wrote Out of Sight. Logan. Very interesting writer. This is one of his first directing credits. Who's the famous producer on this? Is this Soderbergh? Yeah, it's Steven, it's Steven Soderbergh. So I had high expectations coming into this, honestly. But the first episode, maybe he was learning his style. But I totally agree with you. And also parts of the production value or parts of the way scenes were shot felt really cheap. And maybe that's just because I'm so used to watching like luxurious HBO shows or I watched The Crown all weekend. 
which is the most beautiful show in the entire world. But watching this, it felt like they had they have great costumes and they're all riding on horseback and they're in beautiful scenes, but the sets themselves didn't feel like, felt like they were sometimes just plopped down. Like there wasn't as much detail that would need to make it feel like a rich Western. There were, there were some stuff that was interesting. Like I love the, the, it's kind of risky sometimes to do like those really low light conditions where like right at the beginning, where it was just candlelight. It was interesting because you have to think, what are they trying to hide? Or what are they trying to show? I like that. Like I like that feel and it definitely gave that tense suspense and scariness. And I think that'll keep coming throughout the series because there's a scene in, in episode two that also has a very super black background with distinct candlelight only coming up in certain places so that might be just a common thread of how they just choose to shoot it and it probably does add quite a bit to what they're trying to say in terms of drama okay let's see alice fletcher who is downton abbey lady she owns a a farm as firm as much as i can tell sounds like she inherited the ranch she runs a place and she has horses and she's really bad at managing the horses Yes, no idea what's going on. And she's has a in, half Indian kid, half Native American kid, and her mother-in-law. For a second, like the first time I watched it, I had to re- go back and rewatch something at one point. But the first time I watched it, I was like, why is she living with this Indian kid? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I clearly missed something that now she's living with the Indians. Or Na- Native Americans, we should actually be now appropriate. They, but... they call them Indians in the show, I so I'll, I'll go with it. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm interested in what's going on there. But it's, by the way, you would mentioned Westworld at the beginning. I think that's kind of key because the way Netflix chooses its stuff is definitely data and trends oriented. So I definitely feel like the fact that Westworld had a great following definitely made them think, oh, westerns could could work we could definitely do a dramatic western that's true because when you think about they're like they're trying to expand so much into like the fantasy repertoire that hbo really has the most solid corner on with game of thrones and all that type of random stuff that they come up with that they maybe thought they could pull it off but you can't really come up with a story that competes with the concept of westworld when it's just a typical when it's just a typical western maybe there's something that's going to surprise us in the next like what six episodes i'm sure i'm hoping it looks good and looking at the ratings everyone seems to love it so i'm i'm expecting better and better things from so far so we're on the topic of like netflix and hbo that was something i started thinking about as well where i'm really curious how production how stuff works with shows which they release all the episodes at once versus like episodic where they release over time because they might not do it with a lot with most hbo shows but they have the opportunity to edit week to week if they need to based off not customer not user viewer viewer feedback and like fan responses and stuff like oh they like this maybe we should make sure we don't have to retool the entire episode but make sure we have this one guy in the scene a little bit longer to like spurn that fire or, or to make people interested in this when you put everything out in one go and it's not like where it's a movie where it's it's like an hour and a half of content this is like 10 hours of shit of, of fucking content that they spit out in one go that's a lot. So I'm really, especially with like production schedules and the way they have to put stuff out. For Game of Thrones, you're able to put it out over the course of 10 weeks. So you have extra time to finish post-production or other editing if you need to. Or But do they? I'm assuming they do. Like if they, they have the time, if, even if they don't use it, like if they have to take, take advantage of it. For this, it's all, they have to be sure of it before the first second of footage goes out because it's all out there. It's interesting that you, that you mentioned that because I was watching Geekly, the Beyond Stranger Things uh series that netflix (laughs) released which is basically like interviews with the cast the crew the directors the writers the duffer brothers they were talking about when they filmed stranger things 
they would write each episode as they filmed and they would change the script as they filmed based on the actors interesting and and how the actors would respond to certain things and if they wanted to keep people in longer and anybody who watches stranger things john astin's character bob he was supposed to be killed off in like episode four but he had lasted until like episode nine because everybody loved him so much so I wonder if they have kind of a similar protocol. I don't know if this because this is a limited series, if it's different or because the success isn't proven that Netflix doesn't offer that much leeway, but they do, they might have something like that where they instead have a bit more time during the actual shooting and production process that makes the shoots longer. I don't know though. I'm not sure. That's an interesting way to go about it, though. Like, they tailor and they make sure it suits to what the actor is. Like, it's iterative. Which could also be why some of Netflix shows I have found have gotten better later in the episodes. Like, one of my favorite Netflix shows, Sense8, the last few episodes were so much better than the first few. Once it kind of got its footing, figured it out, all the actors kind of figured out what they were doing. So I wonder if it's a similar concept here. I wonder if that's like a Netflix specific thing or just shows in general, because over the course of production, I'm sure like the actors get more comfortable with each other. They have a feel for what like the writers are like, or like the, what the writing is like and what the directors are like, what produ- what producers are expecting, what like the feel for like the show is over time. So I think that character development is definitely present in episode two. Let's jump to episode two because I think we both liked it a lot more. There were so, okay, there were so many things in this episode that were just kind of like thrown at you and left you to interpret. First of all, apparently Roy Good is a horse whisperer. He just seems like Superman. Like he seems like Western Superman at this point. He can shoot. He's got this raspy voice. He can make horses lie down on the ground. He proves to Alice Fletcher that he should be around all the time. And I sense a budding relationship with them in some way. Like it seems very obvious, but maybe it'll prove me wrong. I'm not sure. Okay, so my favorite scene so far is the women bargaining at the table. Yes. I loved it. Uh, I thought that was, I was like, thank God. Okay, we're gonna get some female empowerment up in here. Good on you, Netflix. Like, good job. And bargain at the table for equal share of their mine. So kind of as we talked about before, the mine apparently had an accident that killed all of the men in La Belle. And the women are... Um, you know, not struggling, but seems like struggling in some ways. And a bunch of uh, entrepreneurial males come into town thinking, oh, these women need saving. So they all sit down to dinner and then this scene kind of ensues. A little bit of both sides because they need a mine, mining company to come in and fund and help them actually get back on the map and get and get labor to come in and actually work the mines and make the town prosperous as well. That, I found that really interesting just about the theme like the the westward expansion and in america because between the stories of the women of labelle and when they're at the table the women are talking about how they all left everything their old lives from back east to go out here and and they created new lives and to try try something new and and between them and the family that we found which we'll talk i'm sure we'll talk about more more in depth in a second but the family the norwegian family we found out in the middle of nowhere that was so intriguing i was like they they just left everything from their own country traveled halfway across the world, ended up in the middle of nowhere in Colorado in the United States with a language that is not their native language in a place that they have probably killed them and, you know, likely almost pretty much kills them. And that theme, that idea that was running between both those those groups of the opportunity and the promise of expansion of, I guess, America, the American dream at that time, it was something I hadn't really, I, I thought about in very vague terms. And I thought about in more of it as an immigrant and as 
you know, a non-white person, I thought, oh, that's kind of arrogant. You're just wandering off into into the U.S. and and trying to take land. And but it's 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 an amazing idea of coming and working out on your own and trying to create something new from scratch, no matter where in the world you're from. It's it's an idea that definitely still exists today, or maybe before 2016, but definitely it's that continues. It was. It was amazing to see it at that time portrayed in such a way. No, it's really interesting that you say that because I kind of was thinking about it in the same way that it was really wild west out there. It was completely unsettled. They had one line. I don't know. Who, I don't remember who said it when I was watching it earlier that, oh, yeah, he decided to go pick up and tribe on his own to make his own town. And the concept of like just picking up and making your own town and getting a few people to go with you. You just kind of did it. You lived off the land, you chopped down your trees, you built your houses. You know, the concept of of currency in the same way doesn't really operate that way. Like people were still operating off of trade and, you know, you had obviously banks and money and things that you needed and resourcing, but you could make it on your own and you could make the American dream happen. Or you settle yourself next to a gold mine or a coal mine and you become part of the industrial revolution. Yeah, I mean, we talk about like entrepreneurism today, and that's just you. Le- you leave a job, and you you try to make it on your own, and you try to create a new job. These are people trying to create not just a new job, a new life, a new town, a new society. It's it's it was honestly inspiring, especially seeing the women pick up from a point of probably the, the lowest point that they could imagine, where they're in, uh, they're all their families or half their families and half the town has been killed. All their significant others have been killed or children and loved ones are, are gone and they have to not just continue to survive but figure out how to move on and it was i thought it was an amazing depiction of, of just how resilience not just of women but of people and especially of the sheriff's I get, we, we need to learn some names the sheriff's sister who's also like the pseudo leader who's kind of like a man oh yeah no mary agnes her. i love her i can't i can't wait to talk she's about so her. great I love her. She's my favorite character so far. No, so basically Mary Agnes is this woman who is telling these executives to fuck off unless they're going to pay 50%, unless they're going to give the women 50%. And all of the other women aren't willing to kind of stick up for it quite as much. And they end up taking a deal that definitely undervalues them in the mine and what they're going to end up getting for it. And Mary Agnes, I think that she's going to be a power force for the rest of this series. Where she's just, I got my shotgun, I'm not wearing a dress anymore. She's having a lesbian relationship with another woman, and like, fuck all of you guys. <laughs> Speaking of which, the lesbian relationship with the other woman, I laughed out loud. I was on a plane. I was on the <laughs> plane back from, from Iceland. I laughed out loud and just like guffawed. When the entrepreneur, the, the mining company exec who came to the town and, and asked, oh, have you always been a teacher? She said, no, I used to be a whore. I know, that was great. Then the school burned down, so now I'm a teacher. And I was, it was just like, what? That was amazing. I know. The look on his face was priceless. So I think the coolest thing about Mary Agnes is that he, what did he say? Her brother, the the sheriff, he said that you can, you're no longer maternal. I can't trust you with my kids because you're no longer maternal. And I thought that was like, I thought that was really interesting because it's just like spewing gender nonconformity and letting, saying anything, especially in this time where a woman's going to do something to stick up for herself, which we know. She's kind of going to kind of be held back or looked down on. But with this kind of brooding sensation or the clouds coming over everything with Jeff Daniels' character coming after Roy Good, 
I, it's all gonna, my bet is it all ends up in LaBelle. Everything ends up in LaBelle. And this man, Mary Agnes, ends up being the strongest character of them all and, like, basically fucks everyone up. That's my bet. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm excited if that does happen. It was, it was amazing to watch her go back and forth with the asshole dude uh, and just go point for point for, uh, I, your mind's undervalued. And she goes, the tech specs of just what the mind is, is just showing, this dropping it, saying, I, I know exactly what I'm talking about. What, how dare you talk down to me? Right. And I need, I deserve to be here. And what was it? The the mental guy that came in at the end of that scene. It seemed like they. It seemed like he like got hit in the head and just because he could. They called him John Doe too. So and but they didn't respond on it. So I just assumed that he lost his memory or something, or he's just an idiot now because he was injured. But I would assume that they would have explained that because that would have helped their case. That like we don't have men. Right. But that scene that where he just comes in, whatever. That seemed really weird. That didn't feel normal. I think the only point was for the comment for that guy to make like if you had this many more men you'd be in good shape and then they laugh about it felt cheap it did feel cheap it's like those shoehorn western things that like is it has this potential to be a really great awesome show but then there are still these cliche gimmicky items that i think are present in a lot of other what you would call typically western that i think that that's kind of what they're thinking about i agree i'm not sure why they're doing that too because like you said there's like there's great caliber actors they have seen them have enough budget to do what they need to do. And like the first episode, I think it, I honestly think it just got lost in the editing. I think it would have been amazing if it just was edited better. The second episode, I think was definitely stronger. I, I love the character development of everyone, but you're right. There's still parts of it, which just seemed weird, but sorry, talking about character development. Can we talk about Jeff, Alex, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull up his name. I'm going to make you struggle for it. <laughs> Frank, Frank Griffin. Frank Griffin. So yeah, the, the whole thing when, I forget if there was more. There was a part where he met up with that editor for the paper. The one thing that I remember definitively from that episode about him was the scene in the camp when he ended up with the Norwegian people and he told his story. Creepy story about his life. But it was a lot of exposition and I appreciated like insight to why the fuck he's kind of that fucked up. I'm, I'm sure it's not the whole story, but like it was interesting to see just... Okay, well, there's two sides to this. You're not just a crazy man. You're a crazy man because another crazy man took you in and made you crazy. And you want to perpetuate the crazy cycle at this point. And now you're just pissed off because your own crazy man ran away to be a good person. And you only have one arm. And you only have one arm. Which we'll get to. Yeah. Yeah, no, he definitely spews crazy. And you need to kind of understand the crazy. But he goes in into everything with ruthless abandon. Just absolutely brutal and ruthless. So, I don't know. I think that the way Jeff Daniels portrays the character, he has this grisly feeling to him where you've got this hardened, weathered person who's just dealing with so much and who has dealt with so much and is willing to do whatever it takes to get back at Roy Good. No matter what the cost, I'm going to burn up every town until I do it because his only goal is to basically create and maintain chaos so that was something else i had a slightly different feeling from him from i think I, I felt similar like where he's going but like who where he came who he was i, I felt that slightly differently because i'm not sure if it's just because i like jeff daniels because i've seen him and stuff that I, I really like him in especially the newsroom but in episode one when we first saw him i was like oh oh cool interesting guy he seems kind of intense but not really 
menacing yet until you see the last few scenes where they explain that he just killed a whole town of people. But yeah, the one, the first scene when he's talking to the doctor and he's getting telling him to take it off, he seemed like a real person, like an honest, maybe not a great person, but a real and, and honest and straightforward person. Uh, and I, I appreciated that at first. But I, I honestly was kind of conflicted. I thought I wasn't happy with how Jeff Daniels was acting. I thought that he was supposed to be a grittier, more intense, more dramatic, scarier character. And I just found him to be the someone who I, I wanted to learn more about, but not really scared by. The way they explain in that exposition and the backstory in episode two, I feel like he portrayed it how it should be or closer to how it should be. Because I feel like there's more dimensions and I, I he's not just an angry, insane, or, or just bad person, but there, there, is, there is reason to where he's going. I see what you're saying. I totally agree with you. I more feel that like he is kind of aiming to, he has this sense of what chaos is in his head, or he has this picture of how to attain something, but it does not matter what it takes to get him there. And getting Roy good, does that mean shooting up an entire town and killing everyone in it? Probably. It obviously does. Does it mean I'm going to potentially lay waste to everything else in my path? Probably that too. And that kind of manic chaos, even if it's measured on the outside, like it's a, it's a total sociopath, but a very measured sociopath and how that's developed and where that came from, that backstory, that's something that was like beaten into him. So I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'll be interested to see kind of how it continues to develop. Like, I agree that he's scary in terms of his action and once you know what he's done. But he himself is not going to be the person that's, you know, sawing people's limbs off or something. I agree. No, I agree. That's 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 interesting. So we're, we're talking about Roy Goat. We're talking about, give me a second, Frank Griffin. I got his name in front of me now. And is it weird that my reaction when, for example, when they were going through the scene when he they were raiding the, the train car, the train, and they blew it off the side and it went off its tracks and, and got messed up. Was it weird that my first thought was, I don't think I could be like a bandit or something because I don't think that I could like be okay with blowing up a public thing. And like that's the only way these people can get from one place to the other apart from a damn horse. You just like ended a, a commerce for a lot of people. I felt bad just watching that happen. I thought, damn, okay, so that means I can never be like a pirate or something because I don't think I could just blow up shit for no reason. Well, I think things are a little different now. <laughs> but but yes, I would agree with that statement. It's more just like that there were no rules. So what if you blew up that train? That most of the I think trains back then were they public yet? I don't know if they were if they were public yet or if they were private back then in the early 1800s. I think they were private. I, I think you're right. In that regard, just playing the devil's advocate here, it's more like, you know, the private company then has to come out and fix it. Sure. And the same thing with, like, pirate ships. Now that we're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean for a second. Of course. Um, <laughs> it's more like, you know, these pirates raided the East India Company. So they're not, like, robbing people. They're robbing companies. Then you got some Robin Hood-type action going on. I don't know if I necessarily disagree with that because Rob Peter to pay Paul type thing. Talking about Robin Hood, which is Roy Good in the scenario. That part where, so Roy Good's entire story, I feel like we might have glazed over that, was that he was essentially raised by Frank Griffin. Got his name finally. Raised by Frank Griffin uh, in the same way that Frank Griffin was raised by a weird sadistic and raised to be a guy to go out, rape and pillage and help uh, help the bandits be good. And we mentioned he's a, he's a sharp shot. He's like the Superman of the West. He's a horse whisperer. He's great at everything that you need to get essentially get done and do in the Old West. And he seems honest, kind of. He turned himself in. When the sheriff comes looking for him. And that's like, you know, so he's got that honest thread to him, which means something to me. 
So sorry, I totally interrupted you. No, no, no. I appreciate that. Please interrupt me more. So Roy Good. Okay, so he gets put in jail, and Alice Fletcher decides when her horses go running off and the sheriff brings them back to her, that she actually, you know, she needs him. No matter what he does and no matter what his past was or something, there was something about a letter that I didn't really understand. Yeah, it was, I think the letter was that Roy had a letter on him and then she found it. That was what first confused me about who Roy Good was. Like good or bad. Haha, I get it, good. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, so I'm curious what, what your thoughts are. So from the letter, it seems like it's from a different person named Good. I assume that it was his dad, care of like maybe a sister, to him. Because the return address seemed to be someone else named Good. I'm curious if you thought something similar or something different. To be completely honest, I was very confused by this whole thing. Because maybe I wasn't really paying so much attention when the letter happened. But the letter came back and I was like, what is happening? So I bet you're probably right. If it was named from someone else good, then it is a family member. And maybe that's why he didn't open it. So I remember that there was a conversation at the end between Alice and Roy that he didn't open the letter. But he also finished that conversation with, I don't know how to read. But maybe you could get someone to read it to him. People know how to read. I, that, I mean, they're words, so I would assume someone wrote them. Right, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. So basically... Alice decides that she needs Roy, and she goes and breaks him out of jail. Yes. By the way... I, putting Jojen in a corner, which is awesome. <laughs> I felt really weird that entire scene. I was like, so this random woman just walks up, points a gun at the deputy, and is like, I'm going to take this guy who's locked up in your cell and just walks off. Am I supposed to be rooting for Alice in that point? Because I'm poor Jojen is just minding his own business, and he, now he's stuck in a cell. Oh, that's what I'm telling you, though. It was lawless back then. <laughs> but... She doesn't know, like, the bigger picture. Because the reason why Roy seemed to be like, oh, I shouldn't probably be on your ranch because if Jeff Daniels know I'm, knows I'm on your ranch, he's going to come kill me and, like, you kill everyone you know and love. For sure. But then she just doesn't care about anything that he's saying or anything that's going on. It's just, I need a horse whisperer. You seem to be good with horses. Come on by. Let's go. Oh, no. I'm totally rooting for her. I'm totally rooting for her. She's taken back what she needs. Good for you, woman. Then there's something else in her backstory. We don't really know what happened to her. I don't buy the whole she's bad luck thing. It's I think it's more of she's a, either like a conniving, very strategic person or she just knows how to like deal with shit. Like she's definitely done something and there's something in her past that she's done which no one wants to talk about, but I'm sure is like big and is going to be revealed at some point. So, I mean, we kind of heard the backstory of what happened to her, how the big wall of water happened, washed away her first husband, her second husband showed up. Something tells me that something in her past was different. She might not be able to really manage horses, but she can definitely hold her own. I mean, they kind of explained that where like it's her old original land and then that random old dude in her in the town killed her allegedly killed her husband and then so she there's like a whole thing but i feel like there's more about her that we need to know so we after we learned about his background and that there was that whole scene about where the church woman was telling the reporter or the editor about how he brought a body to a cemetery and buried it and put it into her coffin or rather brought a coffin and put the bones and skeleton and body into the coffin to rebury it I get the impression that that's someone 
it's obviously someone important to him because otherwise there would be the reverse where he's looting the body. I, I want to assume it's a, a father. I just assume that his father is everywhere. That's something that the big thing behind him is his dad. But maybe he's just a good person too. Like maybe he has been, he's always kind of known that he can't be raised, or not that he can't be raised by a villainous person, but that there's something else pulling him. So he shows these acts of, pardon the pun, goodness. <laughs> of goodness and that is what gets him to kind of have this moral compass so maybe that's part of it i don't know it could be a father figure that's kind of pushing him that way it could be the fact that he didn't feel like he had a real father figure it could be a lot of those different things i also thought it was really funny that this woman who watched a guy put a body in a coffin and rebury it and seemed to not really do a whole lot of Nothing really from from my perspective and even from the film that they really shot it, nothing really seemed bad apart from maybe where he took the clothes, but I mean sure. I'm I don't I personally don't think that was a horrible a huge horrible thing. But the way she described it, it was like he's the devil. He he brought a coffin and then he buried a person. He's like devil incarnate. He's the worst person in the world. I thought that was kind of an overreaction. It was a lawless land. And this was a, apparently a very pious woman. She kept talking about God. So I blame that. <laughs> speaking about we just had the elections in alabama yesterday when we're recording this podcast um oh my god we, we, we live in an interesting time and place doesn't surprise me that back then was just as crazy oh i forgot about that that was just... i know that's a different yeah. that's a different podcast for a different time though so. i saw someone tweet but on, on taking a slight tangent saw someone tweet that the it's so bizarre 2017 was such a weird ass year that the fact that uh we they narrowly beat out a guy uh, a, a senate candidate who was accused of a lot of pedophilia um that that was a highlight it indicates that this was a very bizarre year for us oh no i know i know <laughs> so i think the last thing to yeah. really talk about is the last scene what was the last scene the last set of scenes with Frank Griffin oh, yeah. telling his story and the, what were they? They were Swedish? I think Norwegian. Nordic. We'll just group them there. The Nordic family. And he wakes up in the morning with, I think, the, the wife next to him. And then the the husband and a brother or something, I don't know, whatever, the males being held and almost held captive. And the flies flying everywhere. And I thought that the bees. Oh, the bees. The bees flying absolutely everywhere. I was like, what is happening with these bees? Like, what is the point of the bees? And you go to that last shot of the arm, the chopped off arm covered in bees. And I was like, only this show. Oh my God. What are we looking at? So I, I'm, I'm curious. Like, can you explain that to me? Because I was confused about a few things for, from that entire sequence. For one, with the when they showed like the woman and then the, and the two men and then the kids, wasn't there a second wife? Where, where was the second wife? Did I? I went back like three times to try to find her. I could not find the second wife. Maybe I'm. I don't know. No, I missed that too. Then because uh, they're all the kids were huddled in the thing. I like. I tried. To, I went back like two or three times. Could not find the second wife because she was blonde. The blonde wife, because there was a blonde wife and there was a brunette wife. Could not find the blonde wife in the carriage. And I, I assumed that she just was in there or they killed her because I couldn't find her. And the woman ran out and, okay, she she ran out and tried to whatever. And I'm, I was surprised, to be honest, that they didn't shoot her on sight when she started firing her gun at everyone looking at these people. It was also interesting that 
he scolded them for letting it happen. It was a weird way to show his values or like his perception of what values are. That was really interesting to see like, oh, why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you fight back and like, per- like per- try to protect your wife and, and your kil- children and stuff? But the thing I didn't really understand at all, besides the missing blonde woman, was that that was his arm, right? I think so. I'm pretty sure that was his arm. That was the only thing that I... But the thing is, it didn't have an elbow. It didn't have an elbow. He wasn't surprised to see it. I Sorry, he was surprised to see it. The bees, it would take a lot more than like five hours of night to get a lot, that many bees on an arm. But why would he be carrying his own arm around? But he did carry his own arm around. When he first left the doctor, he put his arm in like a, in one of the saddlebags and just walked off. I guess, but it wasn't... Oh, because they took it out of it or they took it near a saddlebag. That's true. Was the implication that the arm, that arm, whoever's arm, at this point, I'm personally confused if it's his arm or another arm. The arm. <laughs> was the arm supposed to be like a sign? The way I'm thinking about it is two ways. One, if it's his arm, then my arm is giving me a sign to go this way. Or it's the other way where he's found an arm, which I'm assuming he's assuming is Rory Good pointing him where to go. Which in itself, I don't think is plausible because from what we've learned about Roy Good so far, he would never do that. That sounds like the exact, exact opposite. So did someone else put an arm and put it there covered? To fool them? Yeah. Or to like convince him to do something? Because the thing is, they were going the, not near LaBelle. He was going was a some different other town. town that was to the north and some other direction. So it could be someone who's fucking with him. But I, I don't know. I thought initially I thought it was his arm, but maybe it wasn't. But he seemed to know exactly what it meant i was confused he wasn't confused at all so i'm intrigued i am intrigued if this was game of thrones we'd obviously be on reddit and trying to figure out if anyone else had the same thing and we is is there insight <laughs> obviously because it's in the netflix limited series we can go to the next episode and i'm sure the first damn scene is going to help us explain exactly what's going on it didn't because i watched the first scene of the next episode but because it just like played automatically of course, now, they've shortened their thing now where it's only like four seconds. It's so dangerous. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, stop it. Wait, pause, go, stop. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I think, I mean, I think we'll get some more explanation on the arm. I think we'll get more explanation on his movements and anything like that. And hopefully we get some more insight into what happens to Roy Good now that he's out and partnered with Alice. Mm-hmm. And that Mary Agnes is out there kicking shit. Oh, we glossed over an entire aspect of this. The sheriff. I love the sheriff, by the way. Oh, yeah, the sheriff. No, but he's blind. He's going blind. But he's great. But then he found glasses. I was surprised that that was the first time he saw glasses because there were glasses back then. Like, that that wasn't a new invention. No, but they had, like, monocles and stuff back then, I think. I don't know enough about 18th century fashion. (laughs) I mean, no, 19th century, sorry. (laughs) Um, ben franklin had glasses like why doesn't this man know that he could maybe go like find a doctor and get some glasses for his blindness he did have some ben franklin did have glasses but did a lot of other people have glasses i don't know well it was a technology that existed i think ben franklin did he invent the bifocals but the normal reading glasses existed by before then i'm sure but yeah so let's let's talk about him and let's remember what his character's name is for a second sheriff bill mcnew yep sheriff bill mcnew I'm a huge fan. I love the guy. I think the fact that he's kind of in love with Alice Fletcher, but he's conflicted about it because he's getting over his... He's not. He's the widow. Nope, he's the widower. He's getting over his dead wife while slowly becoming infatuated and falling in love with Alice Fletcher. I think that's... I like that. I think it makes him modest and makes me like him. I like the fact that from Jojen Reed showed, told us that he was a crack shot and he was amazing. And the fact that Jojen can shoot really well, I think 
really like shows that the sheriff must have been a crack shot back in the day too. And like they're good people. And good people. Uh, and they got their head on straight. Yeah. He's got children. I have faith that he seems like a decent dad so far. And he seems like a decent lawman. Like he's going off on his own to try to track down what's it called. Honestly expecting it to be more typical Western where he breaks out Roy Good and they go off together off into the sunset. But that didn't happen, and Alice Fletcher pulled a, pulled a heist on the mini jail. So She's being a badass, just let it be. <laughs> like, I love it. It makes me so happy, because, like, you never see that in a Western. That's true. You know? And she, she's killing it. And she looks great. She looks great. They all look great. I think, I, I think it'll grow on me. I think I need to watch a little bit more. And I think I need to understand a bit more about, like, where all these things are coming from. But in general, pleasantly... I'll be pleasantly surprised if it starts to, like, really pick up. I, I agree. I'm not, like, wowed. The Westworld from the first episode alone, from the production quality, from the themes, from what they were trying to do, from the acting, I was immediately... Well, it's also the concept. Yeah. The concept was just fascinating, but I was immediately wowed. You're just like, where did this come from? Exactly. Yeah. With this, it, honestly, if the first episode, if the pilot was edited better, I think I'd be in love with this. I'm excited to see what happens, and I, I I like the characters. I have faith in the production quality, and based off of like reviews and ratings so far, I think it's gonna turn out good. Mm-hmm. But uh, I haven't gotten to the point where like I'm I'm itching to see exactly what's gonna happen. Right. I'll be honest though. I think this conversation definitely did make me feel a little more interested and a little more curious. Yeah, me too. Hearing someone else like it makes me think that okay. Next time, just, like, really concentrate on it, and maybe you'll pick up on some other things again. Like, maybe it almost makes me think I need to rewatch the first episode to think of, see if I missed something. Same, because I don't think I was paying attention for, like, the first half of the first episode. We might just need to rewatch it or, like, really invest in that third episode, and we might like it more. Awesome. Okay. 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 <laughs>